All right, guys, welcome to this week's episode of God is Real, God is Good. Um, this week I have Ian Truant with me. You want to say hi? Hi. Hi. So we just recorded a little bit and had some technical difficulties, so we're going to start over, but we're going to pray again. Dear Lord, um, thank you for this opportunity for me to record Ian's story. Um, please just be with us as we do this. Send your Holy Spirit to be with us, that your words may be spoken, and that it may bring glory to you, and that people may come to see a clear picture of who you are. And just be with us. Amen. Amen. All right. So, where are you from, Ian? I'm from Alberta, Canada. All right. So, north of here. Very much north of here, north of Montana. Okay. All right. And um, so, did you grow up... Um, what was your religious background look like? Um, I grew up in a sort of Christian home. Um, I grew up in a home where we went to church, and it was sort of expected that we would go to church, um, but that was about as far as it went. Mm -hmm. My uh, father is not a believer, but he went, and he would say that he was a believer. But uh, my mother was always a very adamant Christian and believer. Mm -hmm. It was a uh, it was a home where uh, the Christian expectation never really stretched beyond uh, things that I was allowed to watch on television and the expectation that I wouldn't do drugs, that I wouldn't have sex, that I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. So be Christian in name, but not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, like I said, I think that uh, a lot of the time parents expect moral kids mm -hmm. more than they would expect or like uh christian kids because uh it's a it's a dangerous thing to become a christian and live a christian lifestyle it's not safe it's not secure it is uh, mm -hmm. a lifestyle that uh demands our service to our god and king and that can lead us into many difficult places like jesus said um where i'm at there my servant will be also and so christianity is about following Jesus into those places and sometimes that can be uncomfortable for a family that just wants moral children mm -hmm. yeah they're like wait a minute that's not what we expected but the child's like no this is what God says mm -hmm. yeah absolutely that would be hard all right well let's get into your testimony then okay um, so into your testimony then so Wherever you feel like starting. Sure. Okay. So I was um, a really, really unhappy kid. Mm -hmm. um, I was really bullied in school. I was the smallest kid in my class. Um, my family was incredibly poor. Mm. I had giant glasses that were, uh, you know, embarrassing and I was hard on them. So they were soldered together oh. <laughs> in the middle. And I was just a very poor and dorky kid in school, smallest kid in my class. And mm. I was also... You just didn't have much going for you. No, I really did not. Uh, in addition to that, I was also uh, sexually abused. Mm. Um, for most of my childhood. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And so, about what age did that start? I, uh, my sexual abuse started around the age of five, I think, and it continued until I was, I think, 11 or 12. I was, and my abuser was another child. Oh, wow. And so, I had no friends except for my abuser. Mm -hmm. So, that did a whole lot. Uh, to mess me up mentally in what was sort mm -hmm. of expected of me. Oh, wow. Um, and so my earliest thoughts, uh, some of my earliest thoughts anyhow, were thoughts of suicide. I've wanted to die for about as long as I can remember. That's been something that has uh, been with me. Mm -hmm. um, so I, uh, I have a memory when I was about nine years old of sitting in my bedroom and praying to God, I had a toy gun and praying and asking the Lord if he could put bullets in the gun, make the gun real so that I could kill myself. And so that's one of my earliest prayers to God uh, was to die. And that's, that's just so sad. Like God is like a father sitting there listening to his child being like, I don't want to be alive. I just want to die. Mm-hmm. And how hard that is for, like, God to hear, like, from his children. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. It it was. It was hard. It was a hard place to be in. I'm sure. And uh, so, I uh, I have a Bible verse from from the book of Job that says, uh, "If I say that my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me by visions, so that my soul would choose suffocation and death rather than my pains. I waste away. I will not live forever." Leave me alone, for my days are but a breath. And that was how I felt. Mm. I felt like uh, I would rather die than be in the type of pain that I was in. And so that continued for a long time. Um, I was also terrible in school. Uh, Americans have a letter system mm-hmm. for your grades a b c d in canada we have a percentage system okay. and so we have 60 percent, 80 percent, whatever it might be that's what you bring home on a report card okay. to your parents and so my uh report card numbers were abysmal they were i'd bring home zeros i would bring oh, wow. home in the teens 11 percent, 12 percent just terrible. I did nothing in school. Wow. You just I, sat there. Yeah, I talked. I, I caused <laughs> trouble. You know, I was, you know, I was not a very good kid. Yeah. And so I, uh, I just did not have any time for school. And so what would happen is I would fail every single year. And then every year I would wind up doing summer school where mm-hmm. I would, I would excel and I would do well enough to pass and go into the next grade the following year. And that was my system. I did it for three years. And I remember uh, getting a phone call at the end of ninth grade. And it was my vice principal who said, look, Ian, um, it's been three years. And this summer school thing hasn't worked. So what we're going to do is have you repeat the ninth grade. Oh, And that was very difficult Mm -hmm. because now all the people that I did know, even though they weren't particularly kind to me, Mm -hmm. they were now um, moving on. And I was was still there having to repeat. And so uh, it was in ninth grade that I was introduced ninth grade the second time i was intru- <laughs> i was introduced to drugs oh um i made some friends who uh smoked pot and everything changed for me mm-hmm. um i really loved marijuana mm. and i love drugs and i said for a really long time that drugs saved my life mm-hmm. um because i was so miserable and i wanted to die so much mm-hmm. and now uh, my life was beginning to be different. I made friends. Uh, I found relief in getting stoned. Mm-hmm. I could shut off for a little bit. I could enjoy life. And uh, we started selling drugs too. And so my status in school changed. I went from being a dorky kid that everybody picked on. Now I was a kid who could get you high. Oh. So um, suddenly I was cool. Mm-hmm. And it had a drastic effect on my personality. I found confidence. I found a place in the world because now I mattered. Mm-hmm. And I was also experiencing relief from all of these things that had tormented me for so long. Um, and that grew. Yeah, that grew. I wound up, I moved out of my house. I left when I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. I moved out of my house. We had been um, we had been partying once for about three days. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, uh, friends, parents had gone out of town, and we decided that we were going to have a party, and it lasted three days. Wow! And we were uh, all of us um, drinking and smoking pot the entire time. And eventually, the police found out where we were, and the police came in and uh, shut the party down, and every kid who was there had been reported missing by their parents. They've been gone for three days. They've been gone for three days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, except for my own. Oh, wow. Um, I was uh, 
not reported missing by my parents. I, I guess they, they sort of assumed I would be around when I was around. Oh, wow. And so at that point, I decided, why am I even at home? Mm-hmm. Why should I be here? And, um, and I left. And I, I dropped out of school. Oh, wow. And I became a kid who lived on the street. And so you're about 15 or 16? 15. Okay. 15 when this started. Um, and still, you know, and now we're doing more drugs. Oh. And we loved drugs. I loved drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, you know, we were smoking pot uh, all day, every day. We were drinking every single day. And we were doing uh, better drugs on the weekend we were uh doing cocaine we were doing meth we were doing ecstasy and mushrooms and acid mm-hmm. and pretty much whatever we could there was nothing we really said no to because mm. we just all loved drugs and uh i particularly loved hallucinogenic drugs mm-hmm. i liked the uh change in reality that it provided and i liked the spiritual uh connections that were uh that were available to you Mm -hmm. you know like we had talked before um if you look at the world and you see you can see in america native americans using peyote you can see in south america ayahuasca you can see hallucinogenic drugs as being something that people have used to reach spiritual planes of existence for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And in these cultures, they're considered sacraments, you know, they're Mm -hmm. considered holy things because of their power. And that's what I liked about hallucinogenic drugs is I felt like I could tap into this ancient power Mm -hmm. and it was great. And so like the spiritual is spiritualness power that you were tapping into though was not a godly power not at all no no it's it's 100 percent demonic 100 percent demonic and and you know and it it doesn't last either mm-hmm. you know it it really it really is only a short-term thing and that's the thing about all drug abuse is it's just a stopgap. It's a band-aid. It feels good for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, another Bible verse that I have is from Proverbs 31. And it says, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, for they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Mm -hmm. So that was us. And that was my sentiment was that I would use drugs. I would forget my poverty. I wouldn't remember it anymore. It's like a temporary comfort. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. And, And my sense of depression came back. Mm. My sense of suicide came back. Mm-hmm. I was still a child. Yeah. I was not in school. I was homeless. I was uh, doing an insane amount of drugs and uh, still dealing with abuse that hadn't been dealt with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, go figure, depression comes back. Yeah, because like drugs can... I mean, that depending on what you're taking, but they have different effects. But like, whenever you come off of like whatever drug it is, like if you're having withdrawals or even just haven't been on it like for a short amount of time, it leaves you feeling so much lower than where you started at. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So it, it would make sense that like everything depression does not leave. No, everything was magnified now. Oh. Um, I was very and and suicide came back. Thoughts of killing myself came back. Um. And, uh, you know, we had talked about the, the spiritual aspect to drugs and that sort of is what leads into the next part of this, which is music. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will say to anyone who's listening to this, music has a spirit attached to it. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to know how 
much music affects who we are as people. Mm-hmm. It's it is so uh, integral to especially young people in the formation of their identity. Most young people begin to form their identity based on the music that they like. Uh, they start to hear something and then they start to change their style to emulate that and then the, their personality to emulate that. And that's mm-hmm. really a lot of kids. That's their first foray into developing an identity apart from their parents, apart from the life that they've lived at home is attached to music. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of something like, not necessarily music specifically, but God's been speaking to me about like the things that we consume, like whether it's music or television or whatever form of media reading is that like you can't serve two masters. And that's the same with the media that we consume. It either is bringing us closer to God or it's pulling us away and so I think it's very important, like, what you put in. And, like, you're saying it has a spirit with it. Is it a spirit of God or a spirit of, like, Satan? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because that's that's another uh, Bible verse that I have here. It says, it's from First Corinthians. It says, no, but I say the things with the, which the Gentiles sacrifice. They sacrifice to demons and not to God. Mm -hmm. And I do not want you to become sharers with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Mm -hmm. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Mm. And so I was um, into death metal. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was the music that we chose, uh, that I chose, that connected with me. And in the world of death metal, you basically have two choices. You can sing about violence and gore Mm -hmm. or Satan. Mm. And we were pretty equal opportunity. (laughs) Um, It didn't matter much to us what type of metal it was, just as long as it was good. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were very involved in the whole scene of death metal. I was in a death metal band. We loved producing the music. We loved uh, everything that it entailed. And uh, I didn't think it had any effect on me then. Mm -hmm. So for what it's worth, at this time, I still would have said I was a Christian. Mm. And in fact... uh, I made the concerted effort at a time to say, okay, time to get off of drugs, go back to church, be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, because like even even you in your state of being fully wrapped in this, you, you in a sense did at some point realize, well, Christians don't really do drugs to this extent. N- not even that. Not really. no, no, no. I was just feeling like you have to just stop. Yeah, to stop. You just have to stop. You, you're miserable. Like I said, like it wasn't. I, I was not happy doing mm-hmm. the drugs. I did want to get my life right, and I did believe in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I tried to say, put my house in order at the age of sixteen ish. Now mm-hmm. is about when this is taking place. Okay. And so I quit doing drugs for a few months, maybe two months, not okay. a long time. Yeah. But long enough to feel like I had made a difference. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine came and said, you should come to a camp with me. It's a Christian camp. It's a Pentecostal camp. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know anything about what Pentecostal meant, really. (laughs) Um, You know, in in America, you're all denominations. You guys fight like tigers. Yeah. (laughs) But in Canada, it's not really like that so much. I didn't really hear too much about denominational bickering Mm. growing up so all i knew is my christian friend invited me to camp Mm -hmm. and said that amazing things happened there that people were healed that god moved that god like there was miracles that happened and i was very interested in that Mm -hmm. Uh, because i'm a hyper experiential person I, Mm -hmm. i i that's part of the reason i love drugs so much is because i crave spiritual experience Mm -hmm. Uh, i was willing to enter into anything to get a spiritual experience and so we went to this camp it's pretty large it was south of edmund uh south of grand prairie around edmonton um there was about 400 kids there wow uh pretty large camp all high school kids and uh we were there for a few days 
And one day they stopped the, the worship and they said, we think some people need to be prayed for. Mm-hmm. And so they called 10 kids up to be prayed for. And myself and my friend were of the 10. Mm-hmm. And um, by the time we got up to the line, I, I, I'll tell this story. So uh, my friend was um, shaking. He was in front of me. I was the last person in line. Mm-hmm. He was rocking back and forth and shaking as we went up. And they all came around him and put their hands on him prayed for him and uh one of the people said go up and put your hands on your friend and pray for your friend Mm -hmm. so i went up and uh i did that i put my hands on him and prayed for him and he calmed down he stopped thrashing around and, Mm -hmm. and he got calm and then Everyone who had been praying for him came over and started to pray for me, mm-hmm. put their hands on me and started praying for me. And so uh, somewhere along the line, that became an exorcism. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was pretty bizarre. And, uh, and in... you were not prepared for this. No, and certainly not on stage in front of 400 people. Oh, goodness. Um. And so, I mean, in their defense, if there was any kid at that camp who looked like they needed an exorcism, it was probably me. I was the only kid there in a cradle of filth t-shirt and, you know, black and, you know, very, very metal, Uh you know, and this is a Christian camp. Uh So So it's like, which of these does not belong? It was not hard. (laughs) Right. It was not hard to say this is a boy who needs prayer. Mm -hmm. Um. And so they they start performing this exorcism on me. And I'm a 16-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. And a 16-year-old kid, I I did the worst thing that you can do in an exorcism. And that's laugh. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Oh. Um, I thought it was a joke, truthfully. I mean, I mean, yeah. How would you not? I mean, you didn't necessarily come saying, I think I'm possessed. You weren't complaining of symptoms of being possessed. And all of a sudden... Here it comes. Yeah. Uh So they anoint my head with oil. They're yelling at the devil. Um, There's all of this stuff happening. And I'm grinning at them from ear to ear while I sat there. Oh, no. Not the right thing to do. No. In case you were wondering. (laughs) Um, So eventually... They stop yelling and they bring up a, a young boy. Couldn't have been more than a few years older than me, maybe 20. Wow. And uh, I, I I don't know. I just got an impression that they felt like, oh, we need to get this kid. Mm-hmm. Like he was like he had some kind of magical power uh-huh. over this type of stuff. And he just laid into me. He was screaming in my oh, wow. face, telling the devil he wasn't afraid of him. Just just screaming as absolutely loud as he could oh wow and so by then it was a challenge for me and so i just kept smiling at him just looking him looking at him in the eyes and smiling at him being like are you done yeah i mean that's a one of the better ways to react i mean if somebody was up in my face screaming that yeah yeah you know um yeah so eventually they quit, mm-hmm. you know, eventually they quit. I got let off a stage and, um, they brought me into a room around the back after a little while. And they said, look, you have to go. Oh, wow. And I said, what? And they said, you have to leave the camp. And I said, why? They said, well, we think that you're a destructive force here and that you, you're bringing down the camp. Mm. And I said, well, if I really am demonically possessed, how Christian is it of you to just like send me away? And uh, they said, well, we have the other kids here that we have to consider and we can't have someone in your spiritual state Mm -hmm. who's here. So they bought me a Greyhound bus ticket home. Oh, wow. And they kicked me out. And so I packed my bags goodness i was such a jerk i flicked my cigarette at the camp director oh wow um i was i did nothing to show them that i was not demonically possessed so do you 
do you believe you were possessed at that point or not? Like, I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that I was involved in is certainly possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I sure didn't respond to their exorcism if I was. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. So I'm I, to this day, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think about it sometimes, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So I went back. I went back home. And I was so broken. That was the first time in my life I said, I'm not a Christian anymore. Mm. I carried this sort of pseudo-Christianity with me throughout, you know, some drugs and some abuse and some, you know, failings. But this was the first time I said, you know what? I'm done with this because clearly... God's people want nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. And so I went immediately back to drugs. And I went back to drugs in a much harder way than I had before. Um, And it became a huge part of my lifestyle. And now also unintentional spiritual part of my lifestyle. Mm. And I began to um, say horrible things about Jesus and and oh. God and horrible blasphemies came out of my mouth um, because I was just so angry at Christians yeah. and, and angry at God. You felt, I mean, rightly so, you felt very rejected by the church and therefore by Christ or God. Like you, you tried, you you had tried to give up drugs and all of this for to become back to becoming a Christian and stuff, and they were almost laughed in your face and said no right and that's how i felt i felt like here in uh the drug world there's acceptance there's camaraderie Mm. in the metal world there's acceptance there's camaraderie Mm -hmm. apparently that's not to be found in the christian church Mm. so i left and uh you know i just i just began to hate christians Mm -hmm. and i began to hate god And I began to participate in occult things because I was still very spiritually minded. And uh, that's really something you cannot separate uh, death metal things from occult things Mm. in in many perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I started to take more seriously the demonic things that were said in the music. I started to Mm. appreciate the demonic things that were said in the music. I started to revel in the violent things that were said that were set in the music and become a man of of complete depravity um and i spent a few years there um just hating god mm-hmm. and doing drugs still miserable though yeah right because now anything that i thought might be hope was taken away from me mm-hmm. and so now i'm borderline psychotic Oh, wow. And I'm hating everyone around me, and I'm hating God, and I'm hating myself. Mm-hmm. And now we're participating with demonic spirits. Now we're inviting demonic spirits in. Now we're asking for occult things mm-hmm. to come in. Now we are are deliberately entertaining these kinds of things. And so my desire to die just stayed. I, I still, I carried suicide around with me constantly, constantly. Mm-hmm. And so for what it's worth, um, we were also incredibly sexually immoral. Mm. Um, I had no appreciation for my body because I was not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, we... Uh, in our friend group, we had all slept with each other. Mm. In our friend group, sex was treated as such a casual thing that it didn't even matter. Mm -hmm. And it was nothing to sleep with your friend because that was your friend and you may as well. And so we had such a cavalier attitude towards sex that uh, that added 
weight. I didn't think it added so much weight at the time, but when you look back on it and you see, I spent all of this time not just committing these egregious sins against the Lord, but also sinning against my own body mm-hmm. and sinning against other people's bodies mm-hmm. and and taking pride in that and mm-hmm. being absolutely foolish. So uh, I wound up working at an adult store. Um... And it was just me and another girl who ran it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I spent, it was a 24 hour a day, seven day a week store. Oh, wow. So I spent 12 hours a day, every single day wow. in pornography. Oh, wow. And it was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible. Um we couldn't see we it was like that because we couldn't keep any staff because people think that working at a porn shop is a novelty they want to do it for 4 mm. days and then they quit yeah right and so w- w- it was left to us to run this thing and we mm-hmm. were just steeped in it me and this other girl and we were doing you know cocaine in the bathroom we mm. were, it was only us who ran it so we were doing drugs right up in front of everybody it didn't matter to us if we were you know smoking pot in front of customers behind the counter yeah um and so we're blasting this demonic evil music over the speakers in the shop and eventually i was the most miserable I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's saying something because I've been pretty miserable up until this point. Yeah. Because now I'm years into drug abuse. And uh, it got to the point where I couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I typically relate my experience. There's an old movie out there called A Clockwork Orange. Um, I don't recommend that anybody see it. <laughs> um, but... Most people know the picture from it, which is a man is tied down and his eyelids are hooked open Uh and he has images that are flashed in front of his face over almost like a form of brainwashing. Right. And that was what it was like for me when I would close my eyes. Mm. So I couldn't sleep. I would get off of work and I couldn't go home and I, I, I couldn't sleep because... Whenever I shut my eyes, it was just pornographic images that were flashing in front of my face. And it kept me awake and it kept me so miserable. And I didn't, I didn't have to be a Christian Mm -hmm. to realize how much I hated pornography. Mm -hmm. I was so, so miserable in that. And I just, I didn't want to be around it. I didn't like the, the environment that it was. I'll say to any young people who are out there and struggling with pornography, um, it is a terrible disease. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, even from a totally secular, godless, uh, not Christian perspective, I knew in that environment what sort of pornography people were going to get based on the age they were when they came in. And so any of you people who are out there listening to this who are struggling and thinking, oh, it's not so bad, it grows. Mm. It grows into something even more evil than what you're currently doing. Because eventually, that spark won't cut it, and you'll seek something else out. Kind of like drugs, like at first you do small amounts, and then it just, you need more to get the same... Yeah, except for it, it, it's with pornography, it's not, oh, I need to watch more porn. It's like, I need to watch different porn. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's the, the problem there. And, and so that's a warning that I would have to young men out there. And, and in this day and age, young women too, don't dabble with this stuff mm-hmm. because I could see it even before I had Christ in my life. I could see the damage that this did to people over time, Mm -hmm. that it was a disease that eventually wound up costing them anything relating to purity. And it didn't just stay at a magazine. It progressed into something truly sick. Mm -hmm. And so I would, I would definitely encourage all you guys. That's a different topic, but 
the biggest lesson I learned from, from being there. And so I was completely miserable though, spending 12 hours a day in that. Um, and I was an absolute animal. Um, there's a, there's a section in the book of second Peter and it says, uh, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. Mm-hmm. and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before God. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct, to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Mm. That was me. I was an unreasoning animal. And I was miserable. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. So one day, it was Christmas time, a friend of mine came up from Bible college to visit me. And we went out for lunch. Hold the phone there. Let me go back. <laughs> um, I was so miserable. I I went home. I went home at Christmas time, and I had a breakdown. And I told my mom, who I hadn't talked to in some time, "What's wrong? Where is God? Mm. Because everywhere I look, I see Satan." Everywhere I look, I see the enemy and he's saying, you belong to me. You're mine. It doesn't matter where I turn. Mm -hmm. Satan says, you belong to me. And so if God loves me, where's he at? Why is it that Satan is everywhere I look and God is nowhere to be found? Why is it that I can see the enemy everywhere I go? But if God loves me, he doesn't seem to be fighting for me with half as much fervor as the enemy. Mm -hmm. The enemy is there everywhere I look. But where is God? And I had a complete breakdown. Um, There's a section from Psalm 13 here. It says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my own soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? That was my sentiment. Mm. How is this possible? Where is God? Mm. And I prayed. And then the next day, December 26th, my friend came up from Bible college. Mm -hmm. And we went out to lunch together. And she said, you should quit your job at the porn shop and you should come to Bible college. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what a turnaround though from like the people at the camp that were like, we don't even want to try and deal with you. This friend is like, I don't care where you're at in life. Come to Bible college. Yeah. 100%. Oh, wow. I thought it was crazy that I could, but I had at least the presence of mind to mm-hmm. feel like there's the answer to your prayer. Wow. This was last night. You said, where is God? Why isn't he fighting for me? Why isn't he making a way for me to get away from all of this? Wow. And here the next day, you get this invitation. Wow. He called you out of it. Yeah. That's awesome. Instantly. And I said, okay, great. Let's go. So I quit my job at the porn store. I robbed it blind (laughs) to pay for my trip to Bible college because I'm still an unreasoning (laughs) animal here. Well, yeah. (laughs) I'm still 
uh, a, just a <laughs> terrible human being. I have no regeneracy yet. Yeah. And so I uh, rob my store. You used stolen money to pay for Bible college. Stole, stole money from the porn industry to wow. pay for Bible college. Wow. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I went. And so December 26th, I had that conversation. January 5th, 2005, I went to Bible college. And I began uh, my walk with God there. Mm. But I was still such an animal. I told them, look, I'm glad you want me here. They were so patient with me. Mm. I'm telling you, I was a dropout with a ninth grade education, drug addict Uh who had an attitude problem (laughs) and they still wanted me to go. Wow. And I said, look, you can take your lifestyle covenant and shove it because I'm not going to be stopping drinking and I'm not going to stop smoking pot. Wow. And you're just going to have, if if I'm going to be here, I'm just going to tell you, I won't be living up to some Christian ideal that you have set. Mm -hmm. So they said, okay, we just want you here. And, and I think that's a good thing because I think God, God, uh, take, he calls us to come to him with our burdens and come, come to him where we are. We don't have to be perfect to come to Christ. That is what happened. Like we don't ever necessarily become perfect. I don't think, but like he calls us in our imperfections to lead us out of them and we can't do it without him. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's good they saw that, <laughs> that you could come to God where you were. They were really fantastic to me, and I was pretty rotten to them. And so I entered into a season here now where I had a change of life, but I had no repentance. Mm. I gave my life to God, but I had no repentance for the things that I did. Mm. Um there's a there's a verse in Revelation it says, and they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Right? Uh, it says also in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Mm. So I had this season with no repentance where I thought, well, I'm just going to pick up Jesus. I'm still going to go my own way. I'm going to pick up Jesus. I got baptized. I, I gave my life over to him, sort of. Mm-hmm. But I had no repentance in my heart. And you know what? I was still miserable. Mm-hmm. I still struggled with thoughts of suicide mm-hmm. every single day. Mm-hmm. And I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip. I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip to Guatemala. It was a very cool idea in that um, what we did was uh, we would fly to uh, Ontario, it was, and we would work on an asparagus farm for like three weeks. Oh, wow. And we, as we served on this asparagus farm for three weeks... Uh, we would make enough money to fund our mission trip to Guatemala. Oh, that's cool. So I had to do no fundraising. So that was great for me. Yeah. Um, so I went and the asparagus did not come up until very late. Oh no. And so we were all sitting around there in the house, me and this mission team. And, uh, we were so bored. We had nothing to do. We were shooting pool playing board games, just waiting for the asparagus to grow. <laughs> and there was another guy there. He had a similar background to mine. He was older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in his mid-20s. And he said to me, Ian, we should go to the bar. Like, let's get out of this house for a little while and just go and have a beer. And so we did. Mm. And he got really drunk. Mm-hmm really drunk and he came to me and he said Ian let's find some blow um and I said what are you crazy we're on a mission trip dude we cannot be doing cocaine on a mission trip oh wow and he and and so we're there in the club drinking and I'm talking this guy out of buying cocaine (laughs) oh wow 
So we he he eventually agrees, and he, you know, our other people from our mission come and pick us up, <laughs> and uh, obviously that type of thing does not really stay quiet. That two of your supposed missionaries went out drinking for mm-hmm. a night at the bar, so we had to have a meeting with everyone who who ran this whole shindig Mm -hmm. and they split us up and they talked to each of us and i have no idea what he told them Mm -hmm. uh i know that i just said we went out drinking and i didn't mention anything about cocaine oh i just let it be since he didn't buy it Mm -hmm. um and somehow or another they came to the conclusion that he should stay but i should go Interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, so here I was again, feeling like, what gives? Mm-hmm. I'm not good enough for the church. Mm-hmm. So they bought me up. This time it was a plane ticket home from uh, Ontario. So I fly home and I'm so angry. Mm-hmm. I'm so angry that this has happened to me again. I'm so angry that I'm rejected by Christians again. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so angry about this guy and wanting to do cocaine. And how does this guy who wanted to do cocaine get to stay? But I have to go. Yeah. And, and so I solved it by going and doing a lot of cocaine. Um... And I I spent much of the rest of that summer. I should have been on a mission trip mm-hmm. doing cocaine. Oh, wow. And ecstasy and acid and ketamine and anything else that I could find. Mm-hmm. And I hardcore went back into drugs because in this Bible college was in Calgary. Calgary, Alberta is a lot easier to find designer drugs than Mm. it was to find them in in grand prairie alberta which was a much smaller town Mm -hmm. and so like i said i had this season where i thought i was a christian but i had no repentance you know and somewhere along the line there i fell in love with leah Mm -hmm. uh, who's my wife now yeah and we met in Bible college and I thought I wondered if I would marry her the very first time I saw her. And, uh, we kind of developed a a friendship at first. And then one day she, she was heading back to Indiana for the summer. So this is a a little bit while after that, I, I kind of pulled myself up by my bootstraps, but I still didn't have a whole lot of, Self control, mm-hmm. still in Bible college, still doing drugs. And uh, after this summer, she decides it's I'm going home for the summer. And I'm I remember I was sitting outside on a bench waiting for the bus. And uh, God said to me, "You need to go to British Columbia for the summer." And I said, "What?" <laughs> he said, go to British Columbia for the summer. I have something for you to do, but you can't go stoned. Oh, wow. And God was saying this to you? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And I said, okay, Lord. And I quit drugs right there. Wow. Forever. Wow. Uh, because I felt that God had come and said, look, I have this for, something for you to do go and he did i wound Mm -hmm. up they needed a youth pastor for a summer and i wound up running a bible camp Wow! and i did have something to do that god had laid out for me that summer and i couldn't have done it stone wow and that's kind of like you know what we talked about earlier about coming to god with our burdens and with our sins and when it's time for us to give them up like if we try on our own we can't give up our sins on our own, but if we give them to God, mm-hmm. they it doesn't have to be a struggle. Sometimes he uses a struggle, but it doesn't always have to be. Well, I wish I could say my struggle ended, but it didn't because now I was serving God mm-hmm. and I liked a girl. 
mm-hmm. and I was done with drugs, mm-hmm. and I would seem to have my life straight, but I still realized I wanted to die. Mm. It didn't go away, and I, now I was left realizing, having served God for a summer, coming back, now I'm in a relationship with Leah, all of this stuff, and I'm desiring to die. Mm. Where, what, what do I do and how do I change this? I had no idea. I struggled with suicide, suicidal thoughts for many years after that. After we were married, after we had kids, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what on earth to do. I didn't know how to fix this thing. Because it had been with me since, you know, we began this story with me at nine years old wanting to die. And so now I'm clean. I'm married. I've got children. I'm supposedly I'm doing everything right. But I still want to die. So what gives? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I developed an intimate relationship Mm. with the word of God that those things began to change for me. And I will tell you, I'll tell you the the answer here. Romans 7 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Mm -hmm. For the good that I do not want to do, I do, and I practice the very evil I do not want to do. Mm -hmm. So I realized I was hopeless and destitute. And there was actually nothing that I could do about this. I wanted to do good, Mm -hmm. but I was still so consumed with this in my heart. And so what's the answer to this? The answer is a chapter before. It's in Romans 6. It says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Mm. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might also walk in newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly, we shall be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Mm. That's the answer. That's what I was missing. Do I still want to die? No, because I'm already dead. Mm. That's what's missing from so many people's walk with the Lord. That's what's missing from so many people's lives in our churches who are just going on Sunday, going on Saturday in your (laughs) case, um, who are just going and putting one foot in front of the other and thinking that that's a relationship with God. Mm. United with him in his death, There are so many verses that talk about dying to ourselves. Mm -hmm. There are so many verses in the Bible that talk about that we are crucified with Christ, that we are not our own, that we are bought with a price, that we don't do the things that we desire. That was the thing that was missing, was I was still trying to have my own life, thinking that Christ was here to rescue me, Mm -hmm. when the truth is I'm to die. Mm-hmm. And I'm to become united with him. Mm-hmm. Right? Ver- Romans chapter 6 again, it says, For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, mm-hmm. knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead and is never to die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So that's the answer. Give up everything. Wow. Give up your entire life, all your hopes all your dreams, all your goals, all your plans, all your future, you are dead. Wow. And Christ now lives within you. There's no middle ground. 
there's no two ways of doing it. The only way is that we die. Jesus said, I came that they have life and have it abundant. But that abundant life is not our own. That Mm -hmm. abundant life is his life. His is the abundant life. Wow. We have to give it all up. We absolutely have to give everything all up. You know, Paul says in Philippians, but whatsoever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. Mm-hmm. More than that, I count all things loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them to be rubbish so that I might gain Christ and might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and be conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Mm. So we give up our lives. We give up everything that we have, right? Mm -hmm. Luke 14 says... Whosoever be of you that forsake not all he hath cannot be my disciple. That's the power of the gospel. Mm. That is the newness of life. It costs you everything. Whatever you have, everything you have is forsaken for the gospel. You don't keep any of it back for yourself. So Christ is so much more than just somebody who rescued me from death metal or drugs or my own foolishness or sexual immorality. He's not Mr. Fix-It. He's king. Mm. He's king and he sets the terms of peace. We don't set the terms of peace. We require his mercy and his terms Mm -hmm. of peace are forsake everything you have. You cannot be my disciple if you don't. That's what he says. He says, deny yourself, Mm -hmm. take up your cross and follow me. And I think that kind of goes back to not serving two masters because like if you're trying to hold something back, like almost in a sense, you're trying to serve yourself in some way, but you have to, it's him or nothing. Like it's all. Yeah. And there is peace there. There's there is the peace that passes understanding there. There is joy there. There is fulfillment there because now the burdens are not on me anymore. Mm. It's now, all in God's hands. Now I'm free because I don't actually have to be concerned about my flesh. Oh wow. Right? Yeah. Right? That's what Jesus says. Mm-hmm. He says, Worry not for your life. Mm-hmm. What you will eat, what you will drink, right? The The Gentile world, the pagan world, that's what they chase after. Mm -hmm. But you, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things are ministered unto you. Mm -hmm. There's freedom. That is where the freedom is. And so it's just that that is the only place that I found peace in in this type of a, a, a world that we live in, where I've come from this experiential lifestyle, mm-hmm. is to say Christ and God requires it all. Mm-hmm. He requires it all. And if I give him everything I have, then he is faithful to keep that which I've entrusted to him unto the day of salvation. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Well, it looks like we have reached just about an hour. Sure. So I think we're going to cut it off there. But thank you so much for sharing. I loved what you had to say, especially about finding peace in God and about your suicide. Because I think so many people struggle with mental illness and we don't know where to turn and we don't know how to like solve it. And I know as you were saying like earlier that didn't that got deleted um, about like, you know, turning to Christ. So many people don't have the answer for that. But it's in giving up our life fully to him that we can find that peace. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. That is that is the only thing that we can do is to give it all up to him and it sounds so crazy and weird to and say. And scary. And scary. Yeah, to say you want to know the answer to suicide? Death. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's, it's death. Yeah. It's so 
uh, counterintuitive, but it's not mm-hmm. a selfish removing yourself from your, your the people who count on you, the people who love you, removing yourself even from God's ability to use you is to say... It's death to self. It's, it's not a literal yeah, death. It's, it's, it's crucifixion with Christ. Mm-hmm. You say, no longer I, but now Christ through me. Mm-hmm. He must become greater. I must become less. Mm-hmm. All of these wonderful verses in the Bible that say, look, die to yourself. Crucify the sinful nature. That's what needs to die. Crucify the sinful nature so that we walk by the Spirit. Right? Mm-hmm. That's Romans. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, mm. but after the Spirit. That's beautiful. And so that's what we do. Mm-hmm. We no longer live for yourself. And that's the only answer, especially with suicide, because people who struggle with suicide carry that burden around with them like a stone Mm -hmm. and it's always there it was always there with me Mm -hmm. and the only freedom i found in it is to give up my life give actually give up my life but don't give up my life to the enemy who wants me to go and cast myself off a building like he tried to tempt jesus to do Mm -hmm. give up my life to the author of life who says yeah Life and life abundant is yours. Streams of living water will flow out of you. Come to me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm. That's beautiful. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for sharing. You're so welcome. I liked what you had to say. But yeah, that was... Just remember, everybody, God is good. God is real. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye.